as we read his word together. Cornelius in verse 33 says, we want to hear, all of us who are here want to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, "Can, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we would ask your blessing on us. We would ask that you would give us the grace to overcome the the sin of partiality, that you reveal it to us, you would transform us, Help us to be more like you, uh, to exhibit your character. Uh, you are a God who shows no partiality, who looks not at outward appearances, but at the heart. Let that be true for us as well. Help us to all confess our common need for salvation through your son Jesus and to trust in him and to proclaim that gospel message. Open your word to us this morning. We pray in the name of your son Jesus, amen. If you remember from last week, uh, we were talking about the the sin of partiality. We said that the sin of of partiality is when we give more or less consideration to a person on the basis of something external to them. So I I give more or I give less consideration to a person based on some external characteristic. So maybe I'm part of one ethnic group and I encounter a person who's in a different ethnic group, and I, I consider them, I give them less consideration. I, I think less of them than I do of the people who are part of, of my group. Or maybe I, I'm in church and uh, there's, there's someone who is, is popular at school, or maybe someone who is a, a local celebrity, and uh, th- they come and they're, they're in the church, and I, I give them more consideration based on some external characteristic. They're they're wealthy, they're, they're prestigious, and so I, I'm more deferential to them. I, I consider them more important. And the, the sin of partiality is to give more or less consideration to a person based upon some 
some external characteristic, not, not looking at their heart, not looking at what's truly important. Now, it's, it's human nature for us to, to consider ourselves as, as, as part of groups. We, we naturally group ourselves, right? We, we, we have this tendency in, in all areas of life, you know, we're, we're part of this political party or we're part of, of this ethnic group or we're at school and we're part of, of, of this group. We're, we're one of the athletes or we're one of the geeks. We're part of the, uh, the, uh, the popular kids. Someone this past week told me about a group of, of, of people called sneakerheads that are really into shoes. It didn't, you know, there's, there's groups I don't even know about. So you, you, I, there's a natural tendency to be a part of groups. So I was reading a book this past week and it talked about what sociologists uh, know, and things that we instinctively know, I think, too, that are true of people as they put themselves into groups. What happens when we put ourselves into groups, which, again, natural human tendency, we begin to think of our group as, as better than other groups. In other words, it's not just, that, hey, this is the group I'm a part of. We begin to think this group that I'm a part of is better than the group that other people are a part of. Whenever someone in our group does something that's noteworthy, we say, well, of course, that's how people in my group are. We're a little more smarter, a little more intelligent than people who are parts of other groups. And it's true in our individual lives, too. You know, I'm, I'm playing dominoes with the family, and what happens when I win? It's genius, right? I mean, I am a master strategist. You know, I, I'm, I'm very intelligent. Um, whenever someone else wins, I got unlucky. Uh, they got lucky, right? That, that's, it's part of our natural tendency. It's true for us as individuals. It expands into how we view people who are parts of other groups. And not only is it true with positive things about our group, we do the same thing or similar things with negative things. So someone in my group does something bad. Well, that's not true of our group. That's just this person. Someone in another group does something bad. Well, that's how they are, right? And sociologists tell us, and I think we all know this experientially to be true as well, that we have a tendency when a person who's part of another group, be it an ethnic group or a whatever group you, you want to call it, whenever a person who's part of another group, we want to begin to see things that, that people who are part of that other group do, we begin to develop stereotypes based on negative things that we see. Well, that's kind of how that group is. And we develop these, these stereotypes. And we have a tendency to remember stories that reinforce negative stereotypes of other groups and a tendency to forget the negative things that people who are part of our subgroup might do. And, you know, you, you know the stories, the, the media kind of reinforces that. I was, during the summer, you know, during the, the time of great tension in our country, there was a, a morning where I pulled up two different websites. One was kind of a left-leaning website and the other was a right-leaning news website. And on one of the news sites, there was a story about a violent crime committed by a person of one ethnic group against the person of another ethnic group. I pulled up at the exact same time the other news site, and there was, a there was also a story about violence, but it was the other ethnic group doing it against someone from the exact, op just exact opposite story in terms of ethnicities. And what happens? Whatever group we're a part of, our temptation, our tendency is to hear negative stories of people of other groups and develop stereotypes. They said, well, Daniel, what does that have to do with the gospel? It's a sin of partiality. And the sin of partiality 
is a huge problem to the gospel. The sin of partiality, the heart of partiality, expresses itself in sins like, like racism, and it, it causes us it, it causes us to undermine our, our gospel witness. The sin of partiality represents a danger to the gospel because it causes us to, 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 first of all, not value people who are part of other groups the way that we should, or to believe that people who are part of, of other groups need something more than the gospel. They need Christ plus my culture. It causes me to, to add to the gospel. It causes me not to love people the way that I need to. It causes me not to be as excited about sharing the gospel as I need to. There are a myriad of ways in which the sin of partiality undermines our gospel witness. The sin of partiality is deadly to our gospel witness. Here in the text, Peter realizes that God is not a God who shows partiality. And he realizes that he has been manifesting the sin of partiality, and he's going to confess the truth of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, and he's going to attack the sin of partiality in some very powerful ways as he confesses some truths that are true for all of us as human beings. This morning, we're also going to confront the sin of partiality with the gospel. In fact, here's the main thing that I want us to think about this morning as we look at these verses. Grasping the beauty of the gospel. As I look at the gospel and I, I grasp the beauty of the gospel, the, this message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and that by believing in him I can have eternal life. As I grasp the, the truth of that message and the beauty of that message, what happens? I'm going to recognize and repent of the sin of partiality. And as I do that, I'm going to be able to engage in God-glorifying evangelism. So we're going to talk this morning about, as we look at Peter's presentation of the gospel here, we're going to talk about the ways that the sin of partiality undermines that gospel witness and how the beauty of the gospel confronts our sin of partiality and allows us to engage in evangelism that glorifies God. We're going to look at it kind of on an individual level this week. And next week, we're going to talk about it more a little bit on a, a corporate level, as the whole church has to recognize this. But what we're going to see, as Peter presents the gospel, is we're going to see that there's a common need. There's one need that we all have, one gospel that addresses that one need, one spirit who indwells all believers, and one baptism that unites all of us as believers. So one need, one gospel, one spirit, one baptism. We'll walk through those things this morning. Let's first of all talk with the one need, the one need that all of us have. And look at me. No, don't look at me. Look at your text. Um, stop looking at me. <laughs> Turn off the lights. Uh, look at your text at verse 33, and we'll kind of work our way into verse 34. Remember, Cornelius and Peter have been talking. Cornelius has gathered all of his friends and his family, and he has, has told Peter, okay, we're here. And Peter says, what do you want? And Cornelius says, well, we are all here. Thanks for coming. Very nice of you. Now, we want you to tell us what God, all that God has commanded you to speak. And Peter goes, you know, light bulb. Okay, now I, now I understand. And listen to what he says. He opens his mouth, verse 34, and he said, truly I understand. That word understand means to, to gain comprehension, uh, to, to apprehend with your mind something you hadn't grasped before. So Peter's saying, okay, now I get it. Now I understand some truth that I was missing earlier. And, and what is it? He says, now I understand that God 
shows no partiality. I understand that now. Now, what does that word partiality mean? It's a, a word that we see different forms of in the New Testament. It comes from the Hebrew. It, it's kind of a phrase that literally means to, to receive the face. It, it means to, the meaning is to consider someone on the basis of their external characteristics. And he says, okay, I grasp that God doesn't do that. God is not a God who shows partiality. And Peter had already understood that. He understood that, that theological truth. Now he understands how it applies in this situation. In the New Testament, we see Romans 2.11, 2, God shows no partiality. In the book of James, it says the church, people who are part of the church are to show no partiality. We're not to consider other people more important on the basis of, for example, how wealthy they are, it says in the book of James. He says, I understand that God shows no partiality. And then he goes on. He says, instead, this is verse 35, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So that word nation, he's not referring just to literal political boundaries. He's talking about people who are part of different ethnic groups or linguistic groups or, or social groups. He says, I understand that uh, th there's no partiality with God. He doesn't consider one group superior to the other, but instead he, he's looking at those who are going to honor him that he's looking at those who are doing what is right, and those who do what is right and fear him are acceptable to him. He says, okay, well, is this, is this good news for Cornelius, or is, is this bad news? And, well, there's, there's both, right? The good news for Cornelius is that he doesn't have to become a Jew in order to be found acceptable to God. The, the bad news for Cornelius is he still needs to be reconciled to God. I mean, certainly it's obvious in this text that God is doing some things to draw Cornelius to him, but Peter isn't saying, well, well you're good to go, you don't, you don't need to do anything. He, he still recognizes that Cornelius is separated from God. He, he still needs this reconciliation to take place between him and God. Peter now grasps, he now understands the message that he needs to share. He recognizes that Cornelius has the same need that the Jews that he's been sharing the gospel with have. And that's to be reconciled to God. Now, now what, do I, what do I want you to understand here? I want you to understand there is one need that all human beings have. One ultimate need. Not numerous needs that human beings ultimately have. The sin of partiality undermines the gospel message because the sin of partiality at attacks the truth that there's one need by telling us, well, there are, there are many needs that people from some groups have. And if you're not part of my group, the sin of partiality attacks my heart in this way and undermines the gospel witness in this way. The sin of partiality tells me, look, if you're not part of my group, you need the gospel but you also have another need. And you know what that other need is? You need to become more like my group. The sin of partiality undermines the gospel because instead of proclaiming that there's one need that all human beings have, we begin to proclaim that there are multiple needs that some human beings have. I see this heart of partiality in my heart as I begin to think that other groups have more needs, or, or I may, maybe I begin to think that my group has less needs. You know, I'm, 
I'm part of, of this group and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm part of this what ethnic group or political group or social group. And, yeah, the, the people who are part of my group need the gospel, but not as badly as the people who are part of that group. That group needs the gospel, and they also need to be a lot more like me. Brothers and sisters, that is, that's a deadly hard attitude to the gospel. The beauty of the gospel confronts the sin of partiality in this area of one need, where it reminds me, look, all people, all people have the same ultimate need, and that's to be reconciled to God. One need. Now, based upon that one need, there's one gospel. Continue to look at the text and look at verse 36. Uh, Peter is continuing to talk, and, and, he, and he begins now, based upon that one need, he begins to share the gospel. And we, we looked at these paragraphs a few weeks ago, but we'll look at them a little more in depth here. Notice how Peter presents the gospel. First of all, he proclaims God and acknowledges that the gospel first came to Israel. He sent to Israel the word, he says in verse 36. He's, he preached the gospel, the good news of peace. That's the, the good news of reconciliation. How? Through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to be central to what Peter shares here to Cornelius, of course. He's not preaching Judaism. He's preaching this Christ-centered message. Verses 37 through 41 expand on Jesus, and verses 37 through 38 focus on Jesus' earthly ministry. Notice how he begins in verse 37. He says, you yourselves know, so Cornelius and those other Gentiles with you, there's probably some things you know about who Jesus is. You've heard the stories. He came, he had this ministry, and, and maybe he's sharing some things that they didn't quite understand, but understand, but had some awareness of. He was in Judea. He began in Galilee. He had the, the baptism that John proclaimed, and uh, God anointed him. He was with the Holy Spirit. He went about it. He was doing good things. He was healing those who were oppressed by the devil and with power. Uh, sorry, by the devil, for God was with him. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, doing these good things. So these are things, Cornelius and those assembled. You probably have heard some of these things. Here's, here's who Jesus was and what he did. But now notice, he, he focuses on the witness that he and the other apostles had. In verse 39, we're witnesses. We're those who testify, not of all that he did, but also of his death and resurrection. Notice the focus here. Now, by the way, whenever he was in Acts 2, he was talking to the Jews and he talked about the cross, what did, what did he say? He said, this is what you did, right? Now, his message has changed a little bit here in terms of talking about sin. He's not saying this is the specific sin you did, but he's still going to talk about the guilt and the culpability that Cornelius and other Gentiles have before God. Why? Because we all have the one need. And he says, okay, uh, they, they, put him, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Verse 40 talks about the resurrection, made him appear, uh, made him appear after he rose from the dead on the third day. Not to everybody, verse 41, but to us, the, the, the people chosen by God to testify. We, we ate, we drank with him after he rose from the dead. And now, verse 42, and he commanded us, his instruction to us was to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So now I'm, I've been given... 
you asked me to tell you what God had commanded me to tell you, this is what God has commanded me to tell you. Who Jesus is, what he did, his life, death, and resurrection, and that salvation, forgiveness of sins, is found in his name. To him, all the prophets, verse 43, bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's, that's the gospel. That's what God told me to tell. Now I grasp that we all have the same need. We all need to hear the same gospel. There's one gospel, and here it is. Remember on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we talked about four things that every gospel presentation needs to make sure that people understand. We need to know to whom we are all accountable, God. We need to know what our problem is. It's, it's sin. It's, it's us, human beings. So God, man, we need to know who Jesus is, that he's fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, paid the penalty for our sins, and we need to know how we receive the gift of eternal life through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. So remember the four words, helpless, God, man, sinner, response. Do we see those things here? Yeah, right, absolutely. Here's who God is. Here's the message that he sent. We're all accountable to him. We, what's our problem? We need peace with him. He says this at the very beginning, and he says it at the end. There's a judge. He's going to judge the living. That all people are going to be judged by him. Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead. How do you respond? By believing in his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's, that's the gospel. Now, do you notice what's missing from Peter's gospel proclamation? What does Peter not say? There, there's something he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, and, and by the way, Cornelius and all you Gentiles, uh, you also need you to believe in Jesus, and then also you need to renounce your Roman citizenship. Or you need to become Jewish. You need to get circumcised. And here's, here's the dietary rules you're going to need to start following. And uh, you know what? We should probably begin on that right away. He doesn't say that. Why? He understands that's not the gospel. You see, the sin of partiality begins by attacking the one need that we all have. The sin of partiality tells me that you have a need to become more like me. Therefore, it affects my gospel message. Instead of understanding, instead of me understanding that there's one gospel that I need to share, I begin to think, okay, I need to share not just this this one gospel of faith in Jesus Christ, I need to give you Christ plus culture. Not only do you need Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God, the sin of partiality tells me you need to become more like me. And it affects what I share with someone as I share with them the gospel. It affects how I view people that I'm sharing the gospel with. The sin of partiality, the sin of partiality attacks my gospel witness as it causes me to believe that a person needs Christ and my culture and not just Christ. You say, well, how, how does that work, Daniel? What, what do you mean? Imagine I'm sharing the gospel with someone. They're from a, a different ethnic group than me. And we've been meeting a couple times. I'm developing a friendship with them. And uh, we're, we're meeting for, bre for breakfast, and we're going to share the gospel. And wouldn't you know, the, the guy I'm sharing the gospel with is, is late to breakfast. Again. 
and he just does not respect time. And I, I, I think to myself, I have stereotypes, you know, what that's it's kind of a thing for that culture. He's going to have to change. That's going to need to be addressed, this time thing. He's going to need to understand how valuable my time is and the right way to view time. Then we began to talk, and as we talk, I recognized, you know what, he has some different understandings that I do on economic theory and the role of the government in a person's life. That's going to need to be addressed. That's, that needs to change. We talk about parenting, and, it, and he thinks the, the role of a parent in these issues are, is different than I do. And I say, well, you know what, in my mind, I think, well, I don't have a chapter and verse on that, but that is a wrong way to live. And, and if that guy's really going to get serious about the Lord, I need to make sure that gets addressed too. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that there are sinful aspects of different cultures and good parts of different cultures. And for sure, common grace allows some cultures in some areas to be more obedient to God than others in some areas. But, but let's not fool ourselves. If he were sharing the gospel with me, there might be some things about my culture he would think need to be addressed. Maybe he's thinking to himself, you know what? The way that guy talks about his parents, that, that's so wrong. You know, in my culture, we, I'm, I'm financially supporting my parents. This guy complains about going to his dad's birthday party. You know, that, that, that's going to have to change in that guy's culture. You, you see what I'm saying? If we get into this culture sharing versus Christ sharing, we're not sharing the one gospel. The one gospel here tells us that it's not about my group's morals, whatever group I'm a part of. It's about the lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to live in, in submission to him as we place our faith in him as Lord and Savior. It's going to include changing many, many areas about our lives. And there are many signs that we're guilty of this. We often see that the gospel belongs to our group. You know, the gospel is, is really part of my Midwestern group, and God in his grace allows uh, southerners and yankees to come to him as well right but midwest is where god's heart really is right we, we we think that way subtly my group is is the group that god is really really excited about and other groups isn't god so nice right it's dangerous to the gospel the beauty of the gospel confronts the sin of partiality in this area where we should have oneness it reminds us that not only is my one need the same as everyone, but that one need is, is met the same way in Christ for all of us. There's one need, there's one gospel, there's also one spirit, right? Look, look what happens next. It's this beautiful, beautiful story. Peter is, is sharing the gospel. He's just talked about the need to, to place one's faith in Jesus Christ, that there's forgiveness found only in the name of Jesus Christ. And the, the, who knows what he's going to say next. Maybe the next words were going to be like an explicit call to repentance like he had given before. But as he's speaking, while he's sharing the truth, the Spirit intervenes. This is not based upon Peter's eloquence. It's not based upon just his, his rhetorical genius. It's, it's simply the, the Spirit works as the Spirit always does whenever a person comes to Christ. The Spirit draws these Gentiles to himself. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. They, they believe the things that Peter is saying. Verse 45, as the Spirit falls on all those who heard the word and implied believed it, verse 45, the believers from among the circumcised, so the other believers, the Jews, 
who've come with Peter, they're, they're shocked, they're amazed, they're bewildered. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on even the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. They're, they're hearing them respond in praise, and they are absolutely shocked. How can this be? The truth of the matter is there is one Spirit. It's the Spirit who saves, and it's the Spirit who enables people to, to worship the Lord. Apart from the Spirit's divine work in a person's life, we cannot worship God. And where the Spirit does work, we cannot do anything but worship God. There is no denying that the, the one Spirit is at work here. Now, this is an undeniable vindication of the genuineness of the conversion of Cornelius and those in his household. You, you can't deny that it. it's the one spirit. How does the sin of partiality undermine the working of the one spirit as we proclaim the gospel? Well, think about it. The sin of partiality has told us your group has more needs than my group. The sin of partiality then tells you, okay, the solution is for you know, Christ plus my culture, whatever group I'm a part of. And then the sin of partiality undermines the truth that there is one spirit in saying, not only do you need the work of the spirit, but to really live the Christian life, you, to, to continue in the Christian life and, and live it in obedience to God, you need the, the message and, and the values that, that I have. You need, you need the empowering work of my culture, my subgroup, to, to really walk in obedience to God. So you don't just need the Spirit to, to be empowered by God to do His work. You need the, the power of my culture. You need the, the power of being like me. That is an incredibly damning message. How do we see this working out? How do we see signs of the sin of partiality in this area? Well, sometimes we, we see it in, in, the, in the pulpits of, of our North American evangelical churches, right? I, instead of saying, okay, here's, here's God's word. I'm going to trust the, the spirit working through his word to, to change and, and shape lives. We instead say, okay, what's the, what's the prevailing culture of my church? The, 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 the different, you know, the main group, the one who's part of my church is a part of, and, and what are the values of that group? And I'm, I'm going to preach those values and, and call people to become more like those values. I'm going to preach instead of expository messages, that is taking the word of God and expositing and saying, okay, what's the, what's, the, what's the message that God wants us to know? And I'm going to trust the Spirit to work, that, work through that. Instead, I'm going to say, well, what is my, what is my culture? What's, what's, the, what's the gospel of my culture? What are the values and the, the message of redemption my culture offers? I remember... Uh, when I was in sixth grade, my family moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I was super excited because there was a church that was part of our, our same association. It was just right around the corner from the house that we moved to, and we'd all planned on going to that church. We were excited about it, and I was excited about it as a sixth grader because I thought, I can sleep later, and I can get out of church sooner and be home playing outside and stuff. So that was my uh, spiritual reasons for wanting to go to this church. And First Sunday, uh, we, we walk into this church, and warmly agree. We sit down, and the pastor stands up. He says, okay, this, this morning the message is about uh, eating healthy and exercise. And I remember thinking, well, there goes that. You know, that's not, <laughs> can't imagine us staying around long for, for this, right? 
what is that? That's 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 a North American. This is what you want. Let me give you what you want. Uh, Self help garbage, right? That's not the gospel. That's not the one spirit. That's not going to enable you to live the Christian life. It's going to enable you to live a North American life. You know, get your health kick on and whatever else uh, is valuable to our culture. But that's not the gospel. It's not the word of God. This heart of partiality often manifests itself in, in this area too as I, I begin to, instead of saying, okay, it's the spirit who enables us to walk in obedience to God. Again, I think it's my culture, my subgroup that allows us to walk in obedience to God. And I begin to minimize the sinful characteristics of my culture and to maximize the good things. And I maximize the bad things in other people's culture. I thought, uh, listen, this last week to an interview with uh, President um, George W. Bush, and he was talking about the funeral message he gave at the memorial service for those uh, police officers who'd been killed in Dallas. This was in 2016. And he said something very interesting that I think is very true. He says, we judge ourselves, we, we judge ourselves on the, let me say it the other way. We judge others, we judge others on the basis of their worst examples and we judge ourselves on the basis of our best intentions. So he said, okay, my group, I'm going to judge on our best intentions, not on what we actually do, but on our, our goals. And I'm going to judge another group on their worst examples. And how is that the sin of partiality? Because it's going to cause us to believe it's not the spirit who enables people to walk in obedience to God. It's adopting the values of my culture. Now, again, that's not to say that, that some cultures don't have aspects that are more obedient to God's revealed will than others. I'm saying as we preach, we're not preaching our culture. We preach the spirit who unites, which brings us to the last thing we see here. There's one baptism, one baptism. Peter sees the, the work of the spirit here. Everybody's a little shocked by what's just happened, but, but Peter immediately draws this implication he asks, can anyone, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? We, we've seen the Holy Spirit demonstrate his, his indwelling presence in their lives as they've engaged in this worship of God. They need to receive the physical sign that they have received the spiritual baptism as well. We, we need to recognize that, that we're one. And Perhaps, I think there's a hint of a little bit of hesitancy because verse 48 says he, he commanded, he says he instructed, look, these people need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are one with us. They are part of the church. They're part of the ecclesia, the, the gathering. They're part of the body of Christ. Just as Jews receive the Spirit, the Gentiles receive the Spirit. Therefore, there, there can be no dividing wall between these groups anymore they're united. Throughout the New Testament, this truth is exalted. That the unity that the Spirit brings must be recognized and preserved. Paul would say this, with humility and gentleness, with patience, we, we bear with one another in love. This is Ephesians 4, 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, eager to maintain that, bo that bond of unity. There's one body, 
one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How does the sin of partiality undermine the one baptism that we all have through the work of the Spirit that we've displayed physically through the act of baptism? The sin of partiality causes me to believe that preserving unity in Christ's church is not that big of a deal. That the sin of schism, that the sin of disunity isn't that bad. The sin of partiality causes me to believe, well, yeah, I'm part of this group and another Christian is part of this group, but I have more identity with these unbelievers who are part of whatever group this is than I do with believers in Jesus Christ who are part of that group. The sin of partiality causes me to believe that the sin of disunity is not that big of a deal, and it undermines my gospel witness as I, as I remove one of the most important weapons in my arsenal for gospel proclamation, the reality that because of our unity, not based upon our socioeconomic status, not based upon our ethnicity, not based on us both being sneakerheads at school or whatever, but that the unity that we have through our faith in Jesus Christ transcends all other group identities. And as I, as I don't see unity with, with other believers as being a big deal to preserve, I'm guilty of the sin of partiality. You say, well, how do I know that exists in my heart? How, how might I see that practically working out? Well, if I'm willing to mischaracterize, if I'm willing to assume hard attitudes of people who are part of different groups, that's a huge sign that the sin of partiality is at work in my heart. I, I have a disagreement with a person who's part of a different group. I know they're a believer, but I said, well, that's how they are. I know what they said, but I really know what they mean. I know they say they didn't mean it, but I know how they are. I know how those types of people are. We mischaracterize intent unintentionally or intentionally hard attitudes. We assume motives. I identify more with a group that I'm a part of than with others who are in Christ. I'm a liberal. I'm a conservative. I'm white. I'm black. I'm a BCCer. I'm, I'm whatever I am. Instead of saying first and foremost, yeah, I'm part of those groups, but first and foremost, I'm in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, no longer I, Midwesterner, I, uh, you know, middle-aged, I, whatever. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, whatever fleshly group I'm a part of, I no longer live in the flesh, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me, Galatians 2.20. Another sign that I'm guilty of the sin of partiality, undermining the, the one baptism that we have in Christ, is I'm, I'm willing to wrangle about words. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to go to the mat and argue the most you know, secondary issues as if my very life depended on it. I don't care what sort of schism it causes. I am going to be right. The beauty of the gospel confronts the sin in my heart, the sin of partiality, where we should have unity. It reminds me, look, there's, there's one baptism, Daniel. <laughs> there's one common confession we all have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the sin of partiality is a threat to our gospel witness. It's a threat to evangelism. 
It denies that there's one need. It causes me to think there's lots of different needs ultimately that people have. It causes me then for, therefore to see different solutions as opposed to the one gospel that's found only in Jesus Christ. It causes me to not recognize the work of the one spirit and not work to preserve the unity of the one baptism. But coming to the gospel, grasping its beauty, help me, re- helps me recognize and repent of that sin of partiality and engage in God-exalting, God-glorifying evangelism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the life that we have in your son, Jesus. And whatever other identity we have, we confess that it is secondary. Not just secondary, but as as Paul says, it's, it's, it's rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing you. And Father, we pray again for our church that we would be engaged in evangelism and and proclaiming the great name of your son Jesus to to all whom we would encounter. Help us not to proclaim you plus our culture, you plus our our own uh, value, but we would proclaim the surpassing value of your son Jesus alone. Father, forgive us for the lack of value we place on others, for our pride that we have in, in ourselves. Help us as we recognize our one need and, and the value of our, our one Savior to be compelled by excitement to proclaim the, the, the message of Jesus Christ to all whom we encounter with boldness and with joy. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.